Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We are continuing our series called The Runaway, and what we're learning in this series is that we are more like Jonah than we would like to admit, right? Like, I think oftentimes we run the opposite direction for what God's will, God's plan, God's purpose for our life is, And what we said is that often we come to the book of Jonah and we think, well, what does this have to do with me? Like, isn't this just a kid's story? What does this have to do with my life? You know, like, isn't this just about a whale? And we learned that there's about three verses that deal with a great fish. And less, so it has less to do about this great fish and more to do about the greatness of our God. And the thing that I've I've asked you to do is what I believe we're going to find out in this series is ask yourself this question. Will you allow yourself to be consumed by the heart Uh, and mission of our great God. And so last week, what we were finding out was that Jonah, he gets this word from the Lord, and it's arise and go and preach to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, you know what, God, I don't think that's such a good idea. I think I'm going to run and go the opposite direction, go and do my own thing. God, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm going to go to my Tarshish, go to the place where the farthest place away from you. And what we're going to find out this week is that Jonah is kind of playing a game of hide and seek with the Lord. In fact, when I was thinking about that, and I was reminded as a kid, I loved to play hide-and-seek. How many of you loved to play hide-and-seek as a child, right? Like, the last service, there was a lot more of, lot more of you. How many of you still play hide-and-seek right now? few of you. How many of you play it because you have kids right now, and you really hate the game of hide-and-seek, right? There's a few of you as well. But as a kid, I loved to play hide-and-seek. It was my favorite game. I play it at friends' houses. I play it at my house. But my favorite place to play hide and seek was my grandparents' house. I love to play. In fact, even as I was driving in this morning, I thought church would be a great place to play hide and seek, right? Because there's all kinds of little places to hide and things. And if you turn off the lights, it gets really creepy then too as well. So I was like, man, church would be a great place to play hide and seek. But I love to play at my grandparents' house. And one of the reasons why I loved playing at their house it was because they, I could hide in the closets. And closets were fantastic because I could get in there and I could put boxes up behind me. They were dark. You know, I could put the coats and the shirts. And because I was a pro at the game, I could just stand there and be real still and be real quiet. And if I was playing with the, the noob who was new to hide and seek, they didn't really try that hard. They would open up the door. And if they didn't see me because I didn't make a noise because I didn't move, they would just close the door and keep on looking. I was like the champ of hide and seek. You know, but when I was younger, I thought I was awesome at this game. But as an adult, I have a whole new perspective on hide and seek. See, because when I play with my kids, I get a whole other perspective. So we'll gather around the living room and they're like, let's play hide and seek. And it's like, all right, we'll play. So I I say, all right, I'm going to count to 20. You guys go hide and I'll go find you. So I end up standing in a corner and I count one, two, three. And what do I hear from the kids? all the running on the floor, you know, I hear them bumping into each other a little bit. I even hear them yelling, this is my spot. Get out of here. We both can't hide here. You know, they might even yell at each other. You can't hide there. You're going to give away my spot. And so of course I keep going 18, 19, 20. And then we all say those famous words, right? What are they? Ready or not, here I come, right? And so I'll walk around the house, and, and I'll be trying to find them. And of course, as I walk past maybe a closet, what do I hear? I hear Brody giggling, you know. I walk past the bathroom, and I know Asher's hiding in the bathtub, and I hear him laughing. 
you know, Dawson, he'll be hiding underneath the bed. He'll go, you can't find me. And I'm like, why are you talking to me right now? Like, do you understand the point of the game? And so, of course, I try to hype up the, the I don't know where they are thing. And so I'll like open up a closet that Brody's not in. He's like, Brody, are you in here? Asher, are you behind this chair? Dawson, are you hiding underneath the covers? And, you know, I try to like build it up. But eventually I know exactly where they are. And so Dawson might be hiding underneath the bed, but I grab him by the ankles and I pull him right out from underneath the bed. And there's all this laughing and giggling like, dad, how did you know that I was there? How did you find me? See, my kids think they're awesome at this game. The reality is they are terrible at hide and seek, right? I knew exactly where they were the whole time. And what we're really going to find out here is that Jonah is playing a game of hide and seek with God. And he thinks he's awesome at this game. He thinks he can go to the ends of the world in the Jewish mind. That's what Tarshish was, the ends of the world. He thought, man, I could go to the ends of the world. God's not going to find me. But what he's going to find out is this is going to go terribly wrong for him. In a way, God is going to tell Jonah, ready or not, here I come. And that's the title of today's message. Ready or not, here I come. Because God knows exactly where Jonah is. And no matter what Jonah tries to do or where he tries to hide, God is going to find him. Because God loves Jonah too much to let him continue to run in his disobedience and his rebellion towards God. See, even in our own lives, we may think that we're really good at hiding from God, but he will always find us. He will always pursue us to bring us back to him. So Jonah, he's on board this ship. He's sailing the great seas, and we pick up in verse 4. It says this, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish." And then verse 7, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they came to him and said, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to the men, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah got an all-inclusive paid vacation for three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. There's three things that I see in our text. If we ever want to play hide and seek with God, there's three things we can learn. And the first is this. The Lord will stir things up to wake me up. The Lord will stir things up to wake me up. See, Jonah's on the run, and the Bible says that God sends this storm. And it's such a big and violent storm that everyone is freaking out. In fact, this storm is so big that it's threatening to break this boat apart. Now, why is everybody freaking out? Well, these aren't new sailors. Like, they've sailed the seas before. They've been through their fair share of storms. But this was unlike any storm that they had seen before. And this boat, it was like, it it started to like break and crack. And so what they decided to do was, hey, this boat shouldn't be doing it because it's a cargo boat. And so they're like, let's start just throwing our cargo overboard, which is significant because this is how they made their money. This was their livelihood. But they're like, we don't even care. We want to survive. We want to live another day. So let's just dump money into the ocean. And then all of a sudden, these sailors on this boat, they become very religious. And so they start all praying to their little G gods. And it's like almost like the captain is like taking attendance, making sure everybody's praying. And he goes, hey, where's this guy that we picked up? He should be up here praying with us as well. And so he goes down to the boat and he says this in verse six, arise, call out to your God. And I want us to pause there for just a second, because now this is the second time Jonah has heard the words, arise and go. The first time was from God, and he was disobedient. The second time is from a pagan, an unbelieving guy, and he's like, hey, arise and go and pray to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. So the way the story is going so far for Jonah is that Jonah was allowed to go to Joppa. He was allowed to pay the fare. He was allowed to board the ship. He was allowed to sail on the ship. He was allowed to go fall asleep in the belly of the ship. See, those things Jonah was allowed to do, but Jonah would be wrong in thinking that God would not come after him, that God wouldn't come and confront him. See, God intervened in the life of Jonah through a storm to keep him from running in his disobedience, in his rebellion. And the same is true for us today. The Lord will allow us at times to run and try to hide from him. The Lord may allow you to keep progressing in your sin for a while, but we will face the same storms Jonah faced. We can look at this scene in Jonah and you can see that God doesn't let his people run on forever. God doesn't let his people do their own thing for very long. See, right now, you might be here and you might be doing your own thing. You're thinking life is great. There's no waves. The wind isn't blowing. You might be here thinking, man, I'm not even doing it God's way. I'm pursuing my plans, doing my thing with my life. I'm not even addressing the sin in my life. But listen, the Lord loves you too much. And there will come a time when he will start to stir the waters to get our attention. So you could go rogue for a while, but then God is going to intervene through a storm. Now, what I'm not saying is that every bad thing that happens in your life is because God is doing that in your life. God is causing that in your life. But what I do believe with everything in me 
is that God may allow, God may cause us to go through a storm to get our attention. Every storm isn't a result of God sending it. Sometimes God will use those self-caused storms in our life to get our attention. The storms that we bring on by our decisions, our actions, our sin. God doesn't have to whip up those storms to get our attention, but he will use those storms to get our attention. God will use all kinds of storms to get our attention, to wake us up. And the storm that God is using here in Jonah's life is a storm of correction. Jonah is being disobedient, and so he's trying to correct Jonah's life. See, the Bible tells us that God disciplines those that he loves. And the same is true for us as well. God loves us too much to let us run away from him. And so he'll discipline us through storms. Now listen, storms are unpleasant. And sometimes we can think that we're going through a storm and it's because God is angry at us or judging us for something. But in reality, it is by God's grace that he would reach out to us through a storm to get our attention before we just continue to waste our lives in rebellion. See, there are real-life consequences for our decisions and our actions. God is disciplining and correcting Jonah through this storm. And God's like, Jonah, I love you, but you're disobeying me. So I'm going to send this storm your way to show you that I still love you, that you're still on my radar, that I have a plan and a purpose for your life. If you just want to follow me, I'll use you, but that's up to you. And maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus. And you started to wander. You started to drift away from the Lord. And God has allowed some storms to come into your life to correct the direction you're going. And God is calling you back. Say, hey, come back home to me. Come back to a relationship. But you're ignoring his call. God may allow difficult circumstances to come into your life to open your eyes and get you headed right back in the right direction and restore you to a right relationship with him. And I don't want you to miss this here because this is to me very important and very significant because the ship that Jonah wanted to use for escape would be the very ship that God would use to wake him up and to get his attention. Here's the point of that. The very vehicles of sin that we would use to drive ourselves away from God are sometimes the very vehicles that God would use to drive us back to him. Over the last several years, I've had the opportunity to talk to people and meet people who were saying, you know what, I was going my direction, doing my thing, deciding to live for myself. I was pursuing my sin, loving my alcohol, watching my pornography, living for my money, pursuing my life. And then all of a sudden, while I was on this selfish path, this sinful way, God sent a storm, and my life bottomed down. What I found out was that I was empty. I had no meaning. I had no purpose. I was miserable. I had nothing to live for, and I heard the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is, and I ran to him, and he saved me, and he loved me, and now I find purpose, and I have hope because he's changed my life. The very vehicles that they used to drive themselves away from God were the very vehicles that he used to bring them back to him. But I also know that there are people here today who say that they're followers of Jesus. They might give, they might serve, they'll be in a waking group, they come to church pretty regularly, doing all the right things on the outside. But they're pursuing their sin, 
loving their alcohol, watching their pornography, living for their money, living for their lives. They're being just like Jonah, running in their rebellion. And here's the thing. You can run from God, but it's only a matter of time until he stirs things up to wake us up. And why does he do this? Because he loves us. And here's the second thing. If you're going to play hide and seek with God, you need to know the Lord will expose my sin to get at my heart. The Lord will expose my sin to get at my heart. So here they are. They're in the midst of this crazy storm. They've just finished praying, and it's like, well, none of this seems to be working, so let's kind of just cast some lots, which is kind of the modern day of just drawing the short straw, right? And who's going to do what? And so they cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah. And this is actually a very shameful and embarrassing thing with what Jonah's going through because the lot lands on Jonah. And so now Jonah has to be the one to confess his life story, why he might be the reason why this storm and they're going through these kinds of things. And so he's having to have to confess his sin. And here's what's interesting to me. Just a few verses earlier, what were we reading? That Jonah couldn't hide physically, right? The captain came and got him and snagged him and brought him up to the top of the boat. So Jonah can't hide physically, and what Jonah's going to find out here is that he can't hide spiritually either. In fact, it's confession time for Jonah in verse 9. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. The Lord loves Jonah too much to let him keep running in his rebellion. And so the Lord allows Jonah's sin to become exposed. See, we can run from God, but it's only a matter of time until our sin is exposed. In fact, God says in Numbers 32, verse 23, he says, But if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. If you do wrong, if you run, if you try to hide, if you disobey, you're hiding your sin. If you're trying to cover up your tracks and one lie leads to the next lie that leads to the next lie. Because God loves you too much, he will expose your sin. It doesn't matter if it's a big sin or a small sin. He will expose it. And what I believe when we read verses like this in Numbers 32... When God is speaking, I believe what he's doing is he's giving us a warning. I believe today that if you're here and you are deliberately sinning against God, you are running in rebellion, I believe that the Lord will be saying to you today, be careful. I'm warning you. If you don't come clean, if you don't confess this sin, if you don't get this thing out of your life, I'm warning you. Your sins will find you out. You can't hide when you run from God. God loves you too much. And some of us, we're here today and we're like, man, oh man, I've been running from God for a long time now. I've been outsmarting God for years now. I'm so clever. I don't even care anymore. My heart is so hardened to the things of God. Listen, you are not as smart as you think that you are. Even though you may think your sin, your choices are a secret and no one knows about them. Your soul and your life are going to feel the scars of those decisions. 
you'll live in captivity of that sin, captive to those secrets. You are not as smart as you think you are. And the longer we wait to repent of our sin, the more damage we bring to ourselves. And the consequences will just continue to increase and increase and increase. But not just for yourselves, but also for your loved ones, the people around you. Listen, your sin never just affects you. It's because of Jonah's sin that these sailors' lives are at stake. And I think sometimes we think, well, if I sin, then I sin, and it's just me. It's only affecting me. It's not going to affect anyone else. If I sin and I go down, it's just me that's going to go down. It never just stays with you. When sin is in your life, everyone is infected. Everyone is affected. Don't believe Satan's lies when he would say, oh, it's just fine. It's no big deal. It's harmless. No one's going to get hurt. But how many stories do we know? Maybe even your story of families that have been broken up, torn apart because of the sins of their fathers, the sins of their mothers, grandparents, aunts, uncles. It's because of their sins the whole family felt it. How many of us hear about churches where leaders or the pastor sin? Everyone is affected by those things. It doesn't just begin and end with you. Everyone is affected. These sailors' lives are at stake because of Jonah's sin. And the sailors are going, how could you do this to us? What have you done to us? Jonah's sin is exposed. And here's the last thing. If you're going to play hide and seek from God, here's the last thing you need to know. The Lord will break me down to build me up. The Lord will break me down to build me up. So, cast lots. They prayed. They've cast lots. They've lightened the load on their boat. Nothing seeming to make this storm stop from its raging. And, and Jonah's just finally like, all right, I give up, guys. It's me. I'm doing it. He's looking at everything that's going on. And he's like, the only way you're going to calm this storm down, the only way you're going to have a peaceful sea is if you just throw me overboard. So throw me overboard. Jonah doesn't want to change his mind, even when he realizes this is God shaking up his life. That kind of makes me wonder. If Jonah would have been like, all right, guys, I confess. He's had confession time because the lot was cast on him. He's like, I'm a Hebrew. I should be following God, but I'm not. And then he turns to God and he goes, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I'm sorry I'm going my own direction. I should have obeyed you in the first place. I should have gone to Nineveh. I should have done what you told me to do. But I thought I was right, so I thought I would go my path, my direction, pursue my things. But I'm sorry, Lord. I will go back to Nineveh. I will preach against it. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I wonder if the sea would have just been calm. We would skip Jonah chapter 2, and Jonah would hear these words for the third time. Arise and go. But Jonah is stubborn, and he would rather drown in the sea than talk to God and go his own direction. Now, what's striking to me in these verses is just how these sailors had more fear and respect for God than Jonah did. These are unbelievers. They have more fear for God than Jonah. But then look at verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it's pleased you. These sailors had more fear and respect for uh, Jonah's God than Jonah did. 
They knew that Jonah's God was the God that created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything living in it. They know that this is the God that separated the Red Sea. They know that this is the God that can bring fire down from heaven. And they have so much fear and respect for Jonah's God that they were like, you know what? I'm not going to throw him overboard. Like this God is, is a scary God. So we're not going to do that. So they play row, row, row your boat. They try to get back to shore, back to safety. But what ends up happening? God's love only tightens because the storm is increasing in its harshness. And so after they've done all these things, they don't see any other way out of this. What do they choose to do? Grab Jonah and just toss him overboard. And they're like, Lord, forgive us for killing this innocent man. And after they do this, the sea is calm. And this great fish swallows up Jonah. See, as I was reading this this week, what's sad for me is that there are people just like Jonah who in their pride will refuse to admit their sin. And what ends up happening is we are shutting out God's grace in our lives. And we don't see that brokenness is where God moves. Pride is what God resists. Brokenness is where God moves. It's mind-boggling to me the fear that we have of being real before God. I don't know that I can confess those sins. God might strike me down. I don't know that the Lord is ready to handle this. Guess what? He already knows. The things that you're doing, the things you did last night, the things that you did this week, the things you did this morning, the Lord knows. He's not like, I had no idea. He knows. We have fear of talking to one another. We don't want to be vulnerable with the pastor, with our group leader, with our ministry leader. We don't want to be vulnerable with people. And I think sometimes we think, well, if I tell them that I'm struggling with this, if I tell them that I'm dealing with this sin or I'm going through this kind of thing or that these things are in my life, they're going to look at me a little bit different. They're going to judge me. And I really like this place. I like the kids' worship. I like the kids' uh, ministry over there. I like the worship. I like the teaching. I like this place. This place has a good feeling to it. I feel welcomed. I feel loved. But if I tell them what I'm struggling with, if I tell them what I'm going through, if they believe that I live some other life than the picture-perfect life I put on Instagram, then I don't know that I could show my face up there again because I really like that place. And we refuse to be vulnerable with people. And what we end up doing is we end up missing out on the freedom of this life. The Bible tells us that we are to confess our sins to God. That's important. We need to do that. But it also says that we need to confess our sins with one another because that's where we'll find healing and freedom. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he gave us great examples about how to be vulnerable. You know, when Paul was going through a hard time, he didn't just say, well, suck it up, buttercup. He didn't just say, well, I'm going to pull myself up from my own bootstraps. I'll just bottle it up inside. I'm not going to express anything. No, when he was going through a hard time, he used words like, I was crushed. I was overwhelmed. He didn't even hide from his past. He would say, hey, you think you're a sinner? I'm varsity level sinning. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of the worst. Paul was vulnerable, and so should we. But so often we're afraid to be vulnerable because we want to appear that we have it all together or we want to look a certain way. And what we're doing is we're shutting out the love of God. 
So in our pride, what we end up doing is we end up forcing God to increase the storms in our life to the point where God has to say, I'm going to have to destroy you completely in order to break you completely so that I can love you completely. Storms can be very, very painful. But because God loves us so much, he will not stop pursuing us until he has us. And that's the mind-boggling part for me, that God wants to love us. So let him love you. Let your pride be broken so you can experience his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Be vulnerable with someone. Find the freedom you can have in this life. For some of you, you need to grab a pastor, a leader, I'll be on the lobby. You can come find me and grab me and say, I need to be vulnerable with someone. In your awakened group, maybe you serve on a team, find your leader and say, I need to be vulnerable with someone right now. That's what we're here to do. We're here to encourage you, to support you, to walk with you, to help you as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, but it only takes by you being vulnerable with someone. Maybe for you, you just need to be vulnerable with your spouse. Be vulnerable. So we leave off a kind of a cliffhanger here. Jonah's being swallowed by this great fish. But here's what I want us to understand, because listen, I know this is a heavy topic. I know what we're talking about doesn't make us laugh and feel real good inside, but it's good for us, right? We need to be reminded of some of these things. But here's what I want us to understand that this great fish that swallowed up Jonah was not an act of vengeance from God. It was an act of grace. Jonah deserved to die, but God spared his life. See, even in the midst of our sinful rebellion, God will still extend his grace to us. How many of you are glad to hear that today, right? That even that he extends his grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness to us, even when we shoot ourselves in the foot, even when we create our own crisis, God still is gracious and merciful to us. Now, here's the thing about God's grace. God's grace doesn't always feel like God's grace. Being swallowed by a great fish does not feel very gracious, right? But as we read the rest of the story, we know that it is. And here's the truth. The consequences we face because of our sin can be God's grace too. If it pushes you to change your life, change your direction and point you to Jesus. See, spending three days and three nights inside the belly of a fish gives you a lot of time to reflect on the character, the goodness and the grace of God. And we see that all throughout chapter two as you start reading through Jonah's prayer. You're gonna see that next week. But maybe you're here today. God's called you to go to Nineveh. And I don't know what your Nineveh looks like. Maybe it's a place. Maybe it's to be more involved. Maybe it's for you to go and talk to more people, to to be out in the community more, witnessing and sharing your faith. Maybe for you, it's something inside you. God's telling you, you need to root that sin out in your life. And you know that's your Nineveh. That's where you're supposed to go. But you're running the opposite direction. You're running towards your Tarshish. Here's what I want you to know. There's a storm on the horizon. And at some point you will go overboard. Why? Because God loves you. And he's not gonna allow you to keep on running. He's gonna pursue you. 
So as we close out chapter one, I want you to notice something. That sin is very expensive. If you run away from God, you will always pay your own fare. Jonah did. Jonah paid to get on that boat. And you'll never get to where you thought you were going. Jonah never made it to Tarshish. Every step away from God is a step down. In fact, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but you can go back later and you can read chapter one of Jonah and you can see what a life running from God looks like. Because first, Jonah went down to Joppa. Then he went down into the ship. Then he went down into the sea. Then he went down into the belly of a fish. Then he went down into the deep. That is a life running from God. It is a downward spiral. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. God met Jonah in the furthest place down. No matter how far Jonah thought he could get away from God, even though he went to the ends of the world, God was still there. Jonah thought he was awesome at hide and seek. But God says to him, ready or not, here I come. Even at the bottom of the sea, in the belly of the fish, Jonah could not hide from God. And neither can you. No matter where you try to run, no matter where you try to hide, you cannot outrun God. So let's learn from Jonah today. Let's stop our running and our rebellion, and let's run to the person of Jesus. Amen? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.